Welcome to Ellen the Great Podcast. I'm Ellen Wanjiro, and I am conquering the unknown one episode at a time. I wanted to do a follow-up on episode four because lots of things leaped out from what was shared, thanks to the transparency from all 11 of my male guests. I asked two questions. How do you feel about George Floyd's murder, and what can the women in your life do to help? What followed was an uncontrived glance into the hearts and minds of everyday Black men, ranging in age from 20 to 54, from different states and backgrounds, uh, different life experiences, and different perspectives. But even with all those differences, there were a few common threads across the board in regards to how they feel as Black men in America. So this is basically my armchair analysis, if you will, of what was shared, uh, as well as feedback from some female listeners. What Alan, he was the youngest out of the 11 men, what he shared about the response from some of his white friends as it relates to George Floyd and the subsequent riots was telling. Um, some of my, my white friends have asked me questions on like how they're supposed to react. Like some people don't really want to be the people on social media posting about it. Don't feel it's in their responsibility to do it, but I tell them, like, if you care about African-American people like that, then you wouldn't let that happen. To that, I say, our reaction to a situation literally has the power to change the situation itself. No reaction whatsoever is, in my opinion, admittance of consent. I feel like at 20 years old, one can differentiate between right and wrong and how to act accordingly. And so the larger question becomes, what does that say about the friendship? Both Brian and Ulysses used the same verbiage to express different sentiments. And as far as what I think women can do in our lives, I just, I'm not really sure because women are also targets. We're basically prey at this point. The cops are the predators. The justice system is the predators. Are the, 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 where, you know, we just can't catch a break. Whether it be Eric Gardner, whether it be Emmett Till, whether it be whomever, this shit is still happening, and yet we still are going through trying to figure out what can we do. What you mean, what can we do? It's either time to stand up and fight back or continue to be, be prey and let it hunt you down. Hearing the word prey, which by definition means an animal hunted and killed by another for food, was disconcerting. And honestly, saying it out loud now makes me feel weird just because of what that word symbolizes. So it was disconcerting to me, not because it's a foreign premise in the context in which it was shared, but because of one, the realization that Black men have been made to see themselves, or Black people in general, as prey. Two, thinking about the weight that's placed upon Black men every time they leave the house based on what they're thinking, having to be on guard or changing who they are to fit a narrative. That's a lot to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis for the rest of your life or for most of your life. A friend of mine shared what she experienced with her, uh, with her ex-husband way back when, that anytime they got on Highway 95 heading to New Jersey, he would take his baseball cap off and put it in the back seat. And what stood out to her was how it was ingrained in him to do that. Because at the time, if you were on 95 driving a decent car in a baseball cap, you were most likely to get stopped by the police. So how much preparation and how we move is normal to us and part of our protocol because it has to be. And as a result, how much of this 
has a direct impact to relationships and family dynamics. Ooh, that's a whole other episode combo. I also thought it was interesting that that prey perspective came from two men with 20 years between them. I found a correlation between what JC and Trevard shared. I think it's even a bigger burden on us as African-American men to not give them a reason to try to justify it on the back end for their actions. And no matter what you do next, you know how it's going to play out. And I feel concerned about being forced to make decisions in the moment every single time I leave the house. Goodness gracious. All I could think about was the mental chess that has to be played in order to make it home alive every time a Black man leaves the house. The importance of being smarter and more strategic, which I interpret as not give reason, which is a point that Trevard drove home when he gave the example of the CNN reporter that was arrested on live TV. Had he resisted, the cops could have very well used that as a reason to use force, which could have led to a much more serious situation. And by the way, Alan, the 20-year-old, and Trevard, 45 years old, both shared the same thought. Now, whether all 20-year-olds are thinking about being smarter and more strategic, I do not know. But it gave me some hope that the majority might be. What stood out to me about Jaman and Dave was that they were the only two men that had similar responses about what the women in their lives could do. And that was nothing. There's nothing Black women can do to help, they said. Because it's not their burden to carry. It's not their problem. It's white America's problem. Which brings me to the following statement made by Dave. It's always the responsibility of the oppressed to fix what the problem is. We never put the onus and responsibility on the oppressor to just stop the bullshit. What a powerful statement. One that's worth going down a short rabbit hole of the four eyes of oppression. Oppression is rooted in the idea that one group is better than another group and has the right to control other. So ideological oppression gets elaborated in many ways, right? The dominant group thinking they're more intelligent, more harder working, more capable, stronger, deserving, more advanced, normal, superior. And of course, the opposite qualities are attributed to the other group, right? Stupid, lazy, weak, incompetent, worthless, less deserving, abnormal, backward, inferior, and so on. Institutional oppression gets embedded in institutions of society, the laws, the legal system and police practice, the education system in schools, hiring policies, public policies, housing developments, etc. Interpersonal oppression gets structured into institutions and gives permission and reinforcement for individual members of the dominant group to personally disrespect or mistreat individuals in the oppressed group. Then you have internalized oppression, the ideology of inferiority based on all the negative messages and actions that get internalized. So I say all that to say it is not on the oppressed to fix a problem that was forced on them. However, the oppressed group most certainly has the power to undo the internalized bullshit beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors that stem from oppression. I imagine that's where white privilege stems from because they've also internalized the negative messages about other groups and therefore consider their attitudes towards the other group to be normal. It's a vicious cycle. Another commonality among the majority of men, which speaks to the aforementioned, was the recognition that white officers use their dominance over minority groups, specifically black men, 
Interpersonal racism is what white people do to black people up close. The racist jokes, the stereotypes, the beatings and harassment, the threats, the list goes on. And that's a powerless position to be placed in. Do I fight and most likely lose my life and even not fighting sometimes results in death? Or do I acquiesce to the blatant disrespect? Moving on. I thought the question asked by Eric Cherry was very apropos. Again, that just goes to that part of anger and how do you harness that and move forward and put that into some type of positive reaction to such a very negative and sort of almost just discounted way or value of someone's life or existence. That's definitely something we're all grappling with right now. And it made me think of something else JC said, which Hakeem also expressed. That's what we deal with every time we interact with other people. We realize that it can go from zero to 100. It's not even about being justified anymore. It's just about your black man. And with that comes preconceived you know, assumptions about who you are and what you're into and everything. You got to overcompensate. There is so much rage from being treated so poorly that it's like, you know, I understand you, L. I, I hear you. But, you know, this mf is disrespecting me and I've been do- I'm doing my part. I went 90% and he's still doing it. So what am I supposed to do then? Anger is a complicated emotion, but it also has the ability to energize us and emboldens us and can be used as a helpful messenger to advocate for ourselves and to stand up for what's right. But I also think that weird, awkward space between anger and before you get to positive, it can get really dark and and one can spiral if you don't have the necessary tools around you to help dig you out of that space. Something Bert said struck a chord with me because it's a weighted reminder of our reality. I'm thankful to be alive. Thankful that as a black man, every single day I leave the house. Um, But for the grace of God, I could be the next George Floyd. Any of us could be. Like we need any more reasons to fear mortality. I'm thankful to be alive, he said, because there are people out there that can easily end my life based on what I look like. That's heavy. Bird also spoke about how the value in checking on one another can't be overstated. And honestly, this was echoed across the board by the majority of the men. Having and needing support instead of criticism, feeling appreciated, reassurance, therapy, empowerment, the importance of listening to one another, educating the younger generation of Black men, not losing faith and hope, fighting against justice, and not being complicit. Okay, so... On to female feedback. The overwhelming consensus was they could hear the pain in every man's voice. Literally every woman said that. That was the first thing that came out of their mouths. They can hear the pain in every man's voice. Zella W. from North Carolina said that it was difficult listening to how George Floyd's untimely death had affected our Black men. She could hear the frustration in their voices, and that made her more determined to create a safer space for her children. Her takeaway was that we should remove the old ways that always assumed our men should bottle up their emotions because burdens carried today are too many for one person to hold, be it a man or a woman. Lisa G from Maryland said that it left her with goosebumps and what the men had shared was amazing and palpable. The question that came up for her was, are women doing enough? And based on the number of men that said how appreciative they were or would be to the women that checked in on them, she believed that fundamentally women may not be doing that on the regular. Lisa W. from Maryland expressed her appreciation for the age range of the men. 
she said that she thought about what they'd shared and tried to put herself in their shoes, which made her get emotional and tear up. She wished she could give every Black man a hug and tell them that their life and how they feel matters. Delisa C. from Maryland loved that one of the men said that women should insist that men talk about the rage they carry, whether it be in therapy or not. She was also surprised to hear one of the younger men say that there isn't much Black women can do because they too are prey. Courtney C. from D.C. said that what stood out to her the most was their willingness to share their emotions and their why, and how unified the men were through their feelings and experiences. The word vulnerability also came up a few times, and an interesting question was asked, why don't we as women expect to have these feelings for Black men, feelings of sadness or empathy or compassion, almost to say that we don't expect them to have these feelings? Like it's, it's a foreign concept. The response to that was, it's possible that the lack of vulnerability on both sides plagues our relationships. That was a good response, I thought. An interesting perspective was offered to combat that lack. In order to truly digest how and what men feel, we have to take ourselves out of the equation and just think about the dynamics that men often come home to or deal with. Sometimes looking at it in a third-person scenario presents it differently. The word emasculate popped up in the feedback as it relates to reasons why men might not feel vulnerable enough to share their emotions. You can't emasculate a man and then expect vulnerability when he comes home because there's no feeling of safety when a man is deprived of his male role or identity or made to feel weaker or less effective, which is something black men have to deal with whenever they leave the house because there's a possibility that they could encounter a police officer that thrives by exerting his dominance in a violent manner, which in turn has the same emasculating effect. Episode four was a teachable moment for me, for the women that shared their feedback, and also the men that went back and listened to the other speakers. I think sometimes we as women forget that men are human and they have emotions and feelings that need to be expressed and nurtured. Vulnerability begets vulnerability. To black men, I say this. Your feelings are not there to be cast out or conquered. They're there to be engaged and expressed with imagination and intelligence. Thank you to Alan Waroe, Brian Waroe, JC Johnson, Ulyssa Stretch Garrett, Trevor Jackson, Bert, Hakeem, Eric T, Jamon Botts, Eric Cherry, and Dave Crockett. I feel blessed to have each of you in my life and grateful that you agreed to share your thoughts and feelings on my podcast. I hear you, I see you, I value you, I pray for you, and I love you. Thank you for tuning in to Ellen the Great Podcast. Please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And for more information and social media links, visit my website at ellenthegreat.com. Till next time.